It is the 200 level episode 153, Archie Nemesis. No, it's not the best title we've ever done. It's not the best pun. I would have done an IO title, but I figure we got to save those for the many moments that he's going to have for the rest of the season, though he is building a legacy that is truly unique. And that's a long list of individual studs that have come through this Illinois basketball program. But what we're seeing IO do, I cannot recall individual domination on a night-to-night basis like we're seeing with Io right now. We'll get to that in a bit. I I will start with Io DeSumo and where he's kind of placing himself in the pantheon here, and it is okay to talk about that. Of course, I want him to win a Big Ten title or make a deep tournament run. I want him to continue to add to that legacy, but what he's doing every single night and the way that he is taking over games, I could look back at my favorite Illini guys, and they had those moments, but they didn't have it like throughout half of the games in a given season. And essentially, that's what we're seeing with Io. But he's not alone. You're getting good contributions from others. You are getting questionable contributions and one no-show that is a major problem right now. But all that said, with the flaws that you have, you are seventh in Ken Palm for a reason. This team has a ridiculously high ceiling. And with three losses so far, I think I'm still going to hold true to this, you know, talk to me at the end of this eight-game stretch about a Big Ten title. Though I think we saw with these two games against Penn State and Indiana that when they are not facing the likes of a Rutgers defense on the road or a Missouri defense on the road, I know that game still stings, or Baylor, that this team, the offense you can basically count on, and that if the defense can just find some consistency, and maybe the Indiana game was a good start to that, that you are a very balanced team and you have potentially the national player of the year in Iodasumu. But more than that, well, not more than that, but in addition to that, because Io being national player of the year, that's not, that's not something I'm just going to kind of shoo away and say, oh, no big deal. No, I was doing remarkable things, but you are in a position through uh, four Big Ten games right now where at three and one with one road win and no home losses, you are in as good a shape as anybody. We're going to have Sean Harrington on later this week, and we'll talk with him about the Big Ten race in general. And he just put out on his Twitter last night, he has a big board of this plus minus standings. And I think this is a Bill Self thing. I think Matt McCumber had replied to a tweet indicating that Self came up with this. I'll check with Sean when we have him on the show. But the way this works is road wins are plus one. Home wins and road losses are zero. You don't gain, you don't lose. And then home losses, that's minus one. And this is a foolproof formula for who wins the Big Ten. Right now, you are along with, I think, Wisconsin, maybe Rutgers, and Michigan, and Northwestern, okay? So I think, of course, go figure. At the top of the Big Ten standings, if you look at it like that, plus one. Now, I think Wisconsin's going to stick. I think Rutgers, despite the loss at Ohio State, and that was a troubling collapse on their part, but... I think that they're going to be kind of hanging around. And Iowa, despite what happened at Minnesota, of course they're going to be in the race. But that's huge. Watching that game, watching them lose to Minnesota made me think, okay, that is one that may bite Iowa far more than Illinois losing at Rutgers. You factor all this in with a favorable schedule that Illinois plays Rutgers once, that's over. Michigan State once. Iowa once. Michigan, maybe the same thing. I'd have to double check, but a favorable schedule that you could put yourself in position to win the Big Ten. But before I get to that point, I mentioned last week, I'm going to stay true to this. Eight-game stretch. So far, you're 2-0 in this eight-game stretch. 
I said, you got to go 8-0 for me to consider a Big Ten title. I think as we start to see teams beat up one another and Iowa losing at Minnesota, and you know the same thing's going to happen for Wisconsin at some point, as good as they've looked so far, that maybe I can recalibrate that and say, well, you can afford a loss in this eight-game stretch. But if you go 8-0, you are putting yourselves in position to win this conference. And it would be an impressive conference title. If you look at how good Wisconsin is, how old they are, I think they're all 22 years old, which go figure. That's such a Wisconsin thing. Of course, they're all seniors. And you would think, well, next year they're going to stink, right? Nah, probably not. Somehow, someway, they'll finish fourth in the Big Ten and surprise you with a bunch of guys you've never heard of. That's just what they do. But in this Big Ten race, you were right there, and I would argue have the highest ceiling because of Io DeSumo playing at a National Player of the Year level, taking over games one after the other, Kofi settling in. He had a rough first half yesterday, but really was great in that second half. He was good Kofi for those last 20 minutes and helped you win that game. And then some other certainties too. Some other guys that you look at and think, well, I know what I'm getting from them. Georgie. I know what I'm getting from Georgie off the bench. I'm getting an energy guy that's channeled it in a very good way. Jeremy had a good article today on the Wana Inquirer about that. Someone that offensively has a great skill set great touch around the rim. He's looking like freshman year Georgie offensively and defensively, I got to say, much more disruptive than I would have thought. I feel like I know what I get with Georgie and that is a great position to be in and I think bodes well for this program even if Kofi presumably leaves after this year. Georgie is a good basketball player right now and that's exciting. Those are your givens along with Corbello because you know the bad parts of Corbello but you are happily trading those in for all the great things that he brings to this offense. But there are question marks. Trent Frazier, defensively very disruptive. Shooting has been actually statistically good this year, but there are occasional nights where he just doesn't really show up offensively on the stat sheet, and you can't really have that. He had six rebounds yesterday. He made an impact, but just one or two threes would have really done a lot to put Indiana at arm's length. He wasn't able to make those. Adam Miller, struggling mightily. Jacob Grandison, after the Penn State game, you know, we made a joke and I feel kind of bad about it, but before the Penn State game, he would get out on the court and it's like, man, he's doing some standing. He's doing some running. He's doing some great standing and running. Basically the old Tony Snell joke that you see, well, he played 12 minutes and then he's got nothing on the stat sheet. Grandison with a couple bunnies missed yesterday and, and looked a little bit more out of sorts than he did at Penn State, but still optimistic that he can find a consistent role. And that's really it. You're asking the role players not to be spectacular. You're asking them to be guys that you can count on. How, how dare I forget DeMonte, who was doing the DeMonte thing, night in, night out, six to eight points, defensively great, and seems to be kind of the spiritual leader on this team. I know that's an intangible kind of thing to talk about without much proof, but if you look at his body language with the young guys especially, DeMonte is like the wise old Yoda on this team, and I, I have no, no qualms or questions about what he brings to it. So that's your team. That's your eight-man rotation. And you feel good about it and know that if this thing can really shore up, yes, you are the best team in the Big Ten if you can figure these things out and play with more consistency. In this eight-game stretch, starting out 2-0, that is huge. And I think bodes well going forward with Purdue coming up on Saturday. I wish we had a game midweek. Out of all the weeks to take a break, I'm sitting at home because of winter break. I know a lot of people, depending on their work situation, they're they're working a couple days and then not working a couple others. And so unfortunately, we don't have Illinois basketball this week. But I will tell you from our perspective, we got Sean Harrington coming up. I'm going to 
post that, I think, either Monday evening or Tuesday morning. We'll do an end of the year kind of in review before New Year's Eve and what a year it was. And then that's it for 2020. But at least as you go into 2021 at three and one in the Big Ten, you feel better about your position than you did after the Rutgers game. You responded well this week. And with a week off, maybe if it's not fun as a fan to not have a game, it might be perfectly timed for this team because that was a busy and grueling December and maybe a break is in order. We got a lot to talk about today with Illinois basketball, and it's so much more fun to do so when they're winning. And hopefully this just kind of keeps rolling along. Before I get too far ahead of myself, already eight minutes into this thing, got to remind you, the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO online at dpdo.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. And you can use coupon code Mike for $5 Cal zones and $6 premium and construction zones at dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Now, I know Christmas is over, but Illinois basketball season is well underway with a couple, well, two to three more months to go. Get some Illini swag by using coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. No coupon code needed. It's State Farm prices, but great exceptional service from Brian and his staff. Life, auto, home, renter's business, you name it, brianismyguy.com. For State Farm agent Brian Hansen, brianismyguy.com. <clears throat> Excuse me, Illini Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level as we roll along here and come to the end of 2020. Let's start by talking about Io DeSumo. And this week was Io in a nutshell. He took over the Penn State game and you didn't necessarily need it. But man, was that a fun five, six minute stretch there in the second half where it felt like every possession he was just taking it to the rim at will. No problem laying it up, total domination. And add into that what happened at the end of the game, the double technical, which ridiculous as it may be, what led to that double technical, I think, is telling about Ayo Desumu and his character. Now, it is so easy as a fan to get all meatball-y and look at him getting up in someone else's face and getting, yeah, you know, that's what we do as fans, right? How much does it actually mean? I think it does mean something. And I go back to the John Gross era in comparison to this. There was a moment in year two when Gross was here, when Kendrick Nunn against Penn State, I think it was, was a Taylor Battle or maybe DJ Newbill. Kendrick went up in his face. This was when Illinois was still really good in that second year of John Gross. They were maybe 13 and one or 13 and two, maybe ranked even before things kind of fell off. And that moment in the State Farm Center when Kendrick got right up in that grill it felt like, okay, we're back. We're the aggressor again. We had that swagger that Illinois basketball had so long been missing. Unfortunately for the John Gross era, that was about it. That was about the extent of any sort of swaggering bravado. And as an Illini fan, as good as this program is, when you are considered the best program to never have won a national title, you better have a chip on your shoulder. There is unfinished business until we get that banner. And I think that kind of feeds into our our mindset as fans, our, our identity as Illini fans. Of course, we're proud of everything that we've done as a basketball program, but we're still kind of perpetually ticked off. You know, we haven't gotten ours yet and we really want it. And I don't know about inferiority complex, but I think to kind of equalize things, we need to carry ourselves the swagger again. And that kind of is a top-down thing from the coach to the players to the fan base and how we feel about Illinois basketball. So to see Io do that, and we were reacting live, and it, the, the tricky thing with the live podcast, and we're still kind of figuring it out with the Zoom format, 
is that you're reacting in real time, so you're going to get some of that emotional response, but you aren't able to properly contextualize certain things until the day after or a few days after. And as I think back to that moment where Io got up in the grill of the Penn State player whose name escapes me, because they don't put names in the back of their jerseys, and I'm, like, I'm not going to look it up. I know that's lazy, but whatever. So Io gets up in that guy's face to defend his young point guard, Andre Curbelo. And I think, well, what does this mean? Why is that important? I know why, as a fan, I get all pumped up with it. But does this have any sort of long-lasting impact beyond just the, yeah? And I think it does because the culture of Illinois basketball that during the gross era had kind of softened, and then during the early part of the Underwood era, you know what he was, you know what he was trying to instill? But it takes time. You know, he can say everyday guys, and he can put things on a poster, but even really good coaches like Brad Underwood, and I would consider him a very good coach, you need the players to exude that attitude and that mindset. You need them to sort of percolate it amongst themselves, on the bench, in the locker room. Because at the end of the day, Brad Underwood is a, what, 50-year-old guy, and he's not a college athlete. He's not one of these guys. Uh, it, that connection can only go so far. It really does need to come from one of the players. To have it come, not from DeMonte, and DeMonte's had his moments, right, when he got up in McCaffrey's face. Was it McCaffrey or one of the infinite number of white guys on Iowa last year, but DeMonte got up in that guy's face. At the State Farm Center, I have not felt that electrified in a long time because it felt like DeMonte was talking for all of us. We are sick of not being Illinois basketball. We're back. You know, that's what it felt like as, as goofy and meatball-y as that sounds. But to now have it come from Io, I'm thinking, why did that moment stick with me the next day and the day after that? beyond even the fantastic things that he's doing on the court in terms of production. Why did that moment singularly stick out for me and potentially be a moment that at the end of the year we're still looking back on? And there's no other comparison I could use in my history of Illinois basketball, this sort of you know, one-off thing that signaled the switch being flipped on. But I truly think that for this season and potentially for these younger guys as you move on in a post-IO world for Illinois basketball, that moment means that we aren't going to take it anymore. And as I'm saying this, I know it may sound ridiculous and it may sound like total hyperbole, fanboy carp trying to you know, wax poetic about a double technical and IO telling some guy, hey, punk, you know, get away from my teammate or whatever he said. I'm sure he didn't say it like that. I sound like an old like an old 80s team movie. Hey, punk. No, I'm not, I'm not Cobra Kai here. But I, I get the sense, though, that it means something to everyone else on that team to know that the guy that is playing to become a lottery draft pick, he is still present. He is here. His focus now is not where he's going to land in the draft. His focus now is to not just be National Player of the Year and get those individual accolades. His focus is still on this team and accomplishing something with it. It is rare to get someone that young to be so aware of legacy and to understand the impact that they're having beyond just their game-to-game -game performance. Io already knows in his mind, and he's talked about this, and he embraces it. He knows what it means to be a legend, right? And he wants to become that. He is becoming that. And he knows how to talk about, you know, um, let's say before the Baylor game, signature moment or something like that. And even though it didn't happen, the fact that he addressed it as such, I think is telling. And it takes a very unique personality.
to turn around the ship, whether it be a collegiate uh, program or a, a pro sports franchise. It takes a very special kind of personality to change the fortunes. And maybe it just took a special guy like Io to turn around what had been 10 years of utility. So yeah, it is just a double technical. It's him getting up in some guy's grill, but I think it is cathartic in a lot of ways what he did to that Penn State guy, getting up in his face and, and accepting the fact that I might get thrown out of the game, even though it was ridiculous, but accepting that fact and realizing it was worth it. And yeah, as an Illini fan, it felt like, okay, he is carrying some of that same weight that we have on our shoulders, except he gets to actually have a say in it. As fans, we watch every game and we can be pissed off and have a chip on our shoulder, but we have no bearing on the impact. And unfortunately, we can donate all the money we want and we can go to all the games we want, but there's only so much we can do to change the fortunes of the program that we root for and that we love and that we grew up watching. He is the difference maker here. And it is exciting to feel as if we're watching this season, one that he didn't have to come back for, but he did. And that not only is he living up to the hype, he's exceeding it. And that he gives you a puncher's chance to win a conference title. He gives you a puncher's chance to win a national title. He's that good. And a supporting cast isn't so bad either. But if you're that supporting cast and you know that your stud is willing to do that to have your back, that means the world. There is no hero ball or anything that we're seeing out there. The, the only moment of hero ball might have been the Missouri game, but in Iowa's defense, no one else is doing a damn thing. But you see that there is a genuine love between these guys. And Kofi, yesterday in the press conference, he interrupted Iowa to say, listen, he's unguardable. He's the best player in the nation. And that was something that he felt compelled to say. He felt compelled to interrupt Io during an answer and say, well, wait, let's just, let's keep it simple. My guy is the best. And I get the feeling that in that locker room, that is the sense that they all have towards not just the best player on their team, but their leader. You know, if I look back to the Frank Williams era, I loved Frank. He is still, if not my all-time favorite Illini, he'll always be in the top three. He'll always be or on my Mount Rushmore of favorite Illini basketball players ever. There was a swagger that he had, there's no doubt. And you know that the other players all loved Frank. But Frank, you know, unfortunately, there was this perception, and maybe sometimes it was true, that there was kind of an aloof nature to his game. Of course, he could take over, and he knew that he could, and often he did. He won two Big Ten titles. He is secure in his place in Illinois history, as he should be. But when you look at the difference in personalities between Frank and Io, there were moments where Frank, he didn't shrink from the spotlight, but I think that you know you can only lead by example so much. There needs to be a vocal component to it. Now, Frank in the huddles, maybe, I mean, because... It's difficult to say in the locker room or at the oven, was Frank the vocal guy? Or was he just the lead by example, make spectacular plays and make his teammates better kind of guy? I think it's more the latter. We're seeing time and time again that Io is a mix of both. And this is not going to turn into a Frank or Io who's better. I think when all said and done, the way that Io is playing, you'd have to say he's a better overall player. Um, but to mix that swagger of a Frank Williams with the leadership abilities of a D Brown, you know, that, that, that's maybe the best comp in terms of being the face of the program, accepting all the responsibilities and the baggage that comes with it and not shrinking away from it, but reveling in it. I mean, the closest thing that we've had to IO in terms of I'm the face of the program, put me on the posters, I'll live up to it is D Brown. 
And that's pretty spectacular company. I hope so badly for IO and for this team that they have something at the end of this year. Okay, so that could be a Big Ten title, I guess a Big Ten tournament title, a deep run in the tournament, one of those things, right? If not all three, hey, we can get greedy as the season goes along after this eight-game stretch when we kind of recalibrate and see where this team is at. But I, I hope so badly that it's not just, oh, he would have made a couple tournaments if not for the pandemic, right? I, I hope that it is, holy crap, we get to hang his jersey in the rafter, which you will. That's going to happen. That's how good he is. And then in addition to that, oh, yeah, by the way, Big Ten Champions 2021. I keep harping on that more than I do any sort of deep run in the tournament because as we so often talked about on 93.5, single elim- elimination tournaments like you get in March Madness, it's such a crapshoot. And there were plenty of really good Illini teams that never made it past even the second round. Back in 98, they won the Big Ten title. They lost to Maryland in the second round. But you know what? We still remember that team because of the Big Ten championship. If I ask someone, would you rather get a Sweet 16 appearance or a Big Ten title? I know that the inclination would be Sweet 16 appearance. I get it, and there is something to be said about getting past the first weekend and getting an entirely, a whole new week where you get to look forward to maybe making the Final Four. And I've lived that a few times in my life, and it's spectacular, right? But there is something more permanent about a Big Ten title, and the older I get, the more I appreciate the fact that You know, a national championship, fingers crossed, will happen for Illinois at some point. But that is such a crapshoot where if I hang my entire, you know, if I I hang the balance of success, if I hang my expectations on that alone, I'm doing a disservice to what a Big Ten championship ultimately means. There was a time where I got sort of numb to Big Ten titles where they won five in eight years, 98. 2001, 2002, 2004, 2005. I remember going to Billy Baru's with my family. This is when Illinois, the year after the Final Four, they played in this tournament down in, I think, South Padre Island. They beat Wichita State by a point or two. I think Brian Randall had the game winner. But at Billy Baru's, they have all these banners, basically replicas of what they had in the Assembly Hall and now State Farm Center. And we're sitting there and I look up and that's when it hit me. And I said, my dad, we've won five big 10 titles since 1998. Holy crap. And even he had to kind of stop himself and, and think that's pretty incredible when you consider Lou Henson in his entire line. career won a single big 10 title. Of course, I don't want to become Purdue, you know, the program that has plenty of big 10 titles, but no final fours to show for it. I think it's still no final fours, or maybe they did back in the day, but Gene Cady never made one. And that was, I guess what you would say, a blemish. That a great coach like that never made the Final Four. Yes, I want both. And I definitely want a national title. But there's some some kind of permanence to a Big Ten title that as I get older, I appreciate that more. And know that if you put yourselves in positions to consistently win Big Ten titles, the single elimination stuff in the NCAA tournament, that'll take care of itself. Eventually, if you keep knocking on the door, you're going to break in at some point. And that's why it would mean a lot. I say all this a week after telling all of you that I'm going to hold off on that until this eight game stretch is over. But I think it's okay to look at this week, the week that was with two wins, one on the road, one at home, very different kinds of games and think, okay, they responded well following the Rutgers game. And here's hoping that they continue to do so. 
Now, that was a lot of praise for Io, as is deserved. Kofi playing great. Georgie playing great. DeMonte doing what DeMonte does. What are the concerns for this team? Oh, Andre Corbello doing great, even though there were some messy parts to the game yesterday, but an immediate spark. Let's talk real quick about why Andre Corbello should start. And I know that Jeremy was tweeting this out and Alec Bussey had retweeted or or replied to a tweet of mine yesterday where I said, you got to start Corbello. You you just have to because you, you need to avoid these consistently slow starts. Against really good teams, that's not going to fly. You don't want to put yourself behind the eight ball. And I would argue, I would argue that the most important points of any game are the first four minutes of each half. And that's very cliche. I mean, there's probably numbers or detailed analytics that might actually prove that to not be the case. But I think there is something to be said for setting the tone in a game. And right now, Adam Miller is struggling. Offensively, defensively, he's not bringing you much of anything. Now, Andre Corbello is bringing you something off the bench. I get the argument that he's the spark. Why would you move the spark to the starting lineup? And then if that doesn't work, where do you go from there? I get that. But I would argue that maybe for Adam Miller, the best scenario for him is to be the guy off the bench where, hey, you just come in, play your ass off on defense, and you take the open threes. Stop thinking about it so much. Maybe that clears things up for him. And you know for a fact that Andre Corbello in the starting lineup Andre doesn't care. He's good. He's going to go out there and ball no matter what, but I don't think that it's going to be detrimental to his game or lessen his impact if he is the one starting. And maybe this will help Trent out. I am worried about Trent, and you may be saying, well, look at his three-point shooting is better than it's been in his entire career. But here's what I'm seeing from Trent, and it's kind of like not to the point of an Adam Miller Or if you look at Adam Miller's numbers, you think that's a pretty good freshman year. But you realize that a lot of his points have come in garbage time or against lesser opponents. Trent is not to that extent on offense. And he has hit a couple big threes for you. In the Penn State game, hit a couple big threes. In the Duke game, a couple big threes that were huge to keep Duke at arm's length. But I think you can really get Trent off the schneid, so to speak, by not making him be the primary ball handler at the start of a game. Let him go back to just running around, getting open looks, making some threes. You you seem to hamstring his ability to be the microwave that he used to be when you say, oh, by the way, we need you to run point as well. You got Andre Curbelo. He's one of the best point guards in the conference already. You might be saying, Carp, hold on a second. He's only a freshman, but think about it. Andre Curbelo does things that there's not a single other Big Ten player that can do that. He's spectacular. He's a freshman, which means he's going to make mistakes. He's going to have off nights. You're going to pull your hair out at a few things that he does, but he does so many good things night in, night out, and he makes everyone around him better. Already, he's one of the best point guards in the Big Ten. It's absurd how good this kid is. So let Trent just be Trent. There's always been a fish out of water thing. Trent is a decent enough ball handler. He's quick, and he's small. So therefore, you think, well, He's probably going to be okay running point. He's not bad at it, but he's not great. What he's pretty good at is being disruptive on defense and then making those threes that can turn a close game into a route. And you can look back from his entire career. The best of Trent is when there is a looseness to his game, and it doesn't seem to be there. He he seems to feel as if he must play a certain role and he's almost thinking about what that role is instead of just going out there and, and playing moves. That's not to say he's playing bad. He's not. He's not. He's good on defense, 
and his shooting percentage is up. But what you want to see less than, oh, well, he makes three threes one game and zero the next. Just give me consistency. Give me the DeMonte Williams level of consistency where you know that you're good for two threes a night from Trent in addition to that defensive ability and just the energy that he brings and being a really good veteran player on this team. That's what he is. Can you maximize that with Andre Crabello on the court? I think you can. And for Adam Miller, he, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't want to get worried. I don't want to get worried in December. And you know how scary this team can be if he gets going. Absolutely frightening. There's a reason during the MTE, that first game, North Carolina a right, on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, why people were tweeting out, oh my God, great, he's going to go pro too. Yeah, it was a bad team that you were playing, but he looked so good. He's big, he, physically, he's ready to go, and he's got a great shot, and he can take it to the rim, but we aren't seeing that as much, and when we do, everything feels so forced. He's in his own head right now, and maybe you take the onus off of it. Hey, come off the bench. Don't worry about it. And now I don't know, you know, mentally, if that would bother him more than let's say let's say under Cabello started and then got demoted. I don't think that bothers Cabello. Again, he's just going to go out there and ball. I don't know if you need to tread carefully if there's kind of an eggshell walking on eggshells thing with Adam Miller. Brad Underwood would know that better than I would. And maybe there's a reason to keep him in the starting lineup. I would just say though. The first four minutes of each half, those were important. You were sluggish in both of those yesterday. And you brought in Curbelo at about the 17.30 mark in the second half because it just wasn't working. Now, I give Underwood credit for being a little bit quicker to make that change and not ride things out until you fell behind by five or six points, which ultimately you did at some point in the second half, but it felt like it was trending that way earlier if you didn't make that change. Start Andre Curbelo. Don't get cute. I know that the narrative, I hear this all the time. It doesn't matter who starts. It matters who finishes. I'd argue it matters both who starts and who finishes. Of course, who finishes is more important. But do not diminish the importance of setting the tone in the first four minutes of each half. That's all I'm saying. Start Curbelo. Give it a shot. And why not, instead of the other team going up 9-1 to one or 9-3, to three, whatever it was yesterday, why don't we do that to the other team? Why don't we go out there and start kicking some ass, which I think against Purdue, you have a great opportunity to do that. I think with some of these games coming up, kind of like the Minnesota game, Minnesota's not bad. Obviously, they beat Iowa. You kick the crap out of them. Penn State is not bad. And yeah, you, sp- you spotted them a 19-4 to lead, but then you outscored them by 32 points the rest of the way. This Illinois team is doing things that last year's team did not do very much. They have the ability to blow out opponents. Last year's team had a gut out seemingly every win, and it was fun, but it was also kind of exhausting. Listen, I, I long for the days, the days of your, <laughs> the days of your, I sounds so British or something, where Illinois teams consistently would just smoke lesser Big Ten teams. And don't let the pundits fool you. The Big Ten is weird. The Big Ten is pretty balanced, but there's still some crap in there. So when you play the likes of Nebraska, okay, when you play the likes of Maryland, I would argue, or even Purdue on Saturday, we don't need this to be, you know, two-possession game at the four-minute timeout. You don't. 
You can have more Minnesotas. You can have more Penn States, minus the 19-4 to start, right? Back to the idea of starting quick. Who turned that game around for you more than anybody? Andre Curbelo. Start him, please. Don't let this become a trend where all of a sudden, because of a poor start, you never quite recover and you lose a game that you shouldn't. In this eight-game stretch, I want them to go 8-0. I think they're capable of going 8-0, but starting Curbelo, I think, only helps your cause. Got crazy to think that a few nights ago as we're watching that Penn State game, you go down 19-4, and I was pissed. I had entered that game telling myself, okay, remember, you recalibrated your expectations. You're going to do a wait-and-see approach about the Big Ten title and all that, which, boy, have I talked about Big Ten title a lot today. I need to slow my roll a little bit. But, and then it's 19-4, and I'm livid. And thinking, I can't believe this crap. I don't want to do the podcast, yada, yada, yada. Didn't even have the built-in excuse of like being under the weather like I was yesterday. But, and then you ultimately took care of business, right? But it's like, don't, don't do that again. Don't do the 19 to 4 thing again. There, that's inexcusable. And you overcame it. I hope you learned some things along the way. I think you had a sluggish performance against Indiana in a lot of ways, though that's what Indiana defensively does. I will give them credit for that. And Ken Palm, they're a top 10, I think, defensive team. Illinois is around 38th, which you think, well, that's not bad. It's not great. Illinois does need to get better. But you did, unfortunately, have to get into a slugfest. Old school Big Ten slugfest. It was not pretty to watch. You wanted to pull your hair out for much of that game. I certainly did. But you found a way to win. And you found a way to make sure it wasn't all that close in the last couple minutes. That's what good teams do. And that is an improvement even over last year. Where, God, the Indiana game last year. Think about that. As we're watching that in the basement. I forget if Isaac or Trevor was at the game. Maybe it was just me and Isaac doing the basement pod. But it was scary. It was scary because Indiana was okay. You know, they were fine. I don't know if they would have been a tournament team or not. I think they were a bubble team. But man, it took every bit of your energy and into the last possession of the game. I think you won by one because of a late score from Indiana. And you're seeing just like yesterday, again, you didn't have your best performance, kind of like against Indiana last year, but you have the guy to take the game over. You have, for the most part, the role players doing what they need to do. And you found a unique way to win a game. You're diversifying your portfolio, right? You're winning blowouts. You're winning slugfest. And as this season goes along and you're faced with these different obstacles and these different playing styles, I do think that the Big Ten, even though it, I don't know if they're going to finally get over the whole not having a national title winner since 2000, I don't think this year's the year because it looks like Gonzaga is just unstoppable. And then Baylor, they aren't so shabby either. So I don't think that slump ends. But it is still a conference that will get you prepared for a single elimination tournament where I could see three or four Big Ten teams in the Elite Eight if all, if all the chips fall right. And that is only going to help this Illinois, Illinois team's chances as they get to that. So what to look forward to now? We got a week off. We got Purdue on Saturday. Again, I wish there was something midweek that we could look forward to. But as they look forward in the schedule, let's just break it down real quick and see where they're at in this eight-game stretch that I've been harping on. Purdue on Saturday, you know, I say must win. They're all the games that could be bad losses. I consider those must wins in a weird way. I consider a game like Purdue more of a must win than, let's say, at Michigan State on January 23rd. In terms of NCAA seeding and even the Big Ten race, you know that one losing one would hurt you more than losing the other. So games like Purdue at Northwestern, yes, I know they're 3-0, and 
beat them. You should, okay? They'll get a little bit of a slice of humble pie, I think, Northwestern when they play Iowa this week. And let me just make sure they got Iowa coming up. And then after that, they are at Michigan. So they could be three and two in the conference after that. Hey, if they're five and zero, oh, then you're setting up a top 15 matchup between Illinois and Northwestern. Wouldn't that be something? But Purdue at home at Northwestern, Maryland at home. They are not playing so well at Nebraska. Kind of a mess. You know, they got some shooters, but kind of a mess. Ohio State at home and Penn State at home. Which, by the way, I think that Penn State game at home, you're just going to come out and beat them by 25 points. I, I, I don't think that was smart of Penn State to do what they did at the end of that game. You ticked Illinois, you ticked Iowa off. That's not a good thing to do. So as we look to these next six games, the toughest ones you would argue at this point are at Northwestern, go figure, and Ohio State at home. Ohio State lost a tough one at Northwestern yesterday. And... Hey, they're good. The Buckeyes, the Wildcats too, but the Buckeyes are still very good. And EJ Liddell is playing out of his mind. You would think, God, if he was on this team, you are talking national title, maybe not favorite, but right there with Gonzaga and Baylor. That's the kind of difference EJ Liddell would make. But in the six-game stretch, those are the two toughest, which means, man, if you can get on the other side of this, nine and one in the conference, it is doable. Nine and one in the conference going to Michigan State. And hey, at this point, until Michigan State figures out what's going on up there, they're good. They're good, but they're kind of a mess, right? And they're young enough where I don't know if Izzo is going to get that team looking any better than, you know, borderline top 25. They were overrated from the start. I think that win at Duke, kind of like Illinois' win at Duke, maybe inflated their ranking and how we felt about them. At the end of the day, they're a team that we know Izzo's history suggests they'll turn it around. I just wonder if turning it around for them is simply they're a decent tournament team, five or six seed in the NCAA tournament, but not a Big Ten title contender. So as the season rolls along, you know, it's it's so difficult to do dare to dream or try to prognosticate where are the losses, where are the wins. But you got an opportunity, and I think out of all the Big Ten contenders, you have the favorable schedule. I will say, you know, if you go into the last two games at Wisconsin, at Ohio State, and each of those games is a week apart, Saturday, February 27th, and Saturday, March 6th. Man, it'd be great to somehow be in a position where you would have like locked up the Big Ten title before that because those would be some tense moments. I do not want to potentially lose the Big Ten title on the road at Wisconsin, and I certainly don't want EJ Liddell to have a say in that either. I would love to lock up at least a share of it against Nebraska on February 24th. Okay, you know what I just realized? I've spent about half of this podcast reneging on what I said last week. I have drank the Kool-Aid yet again. I'm riding that damn roller coaster. They beat Penn State on the road. They beat Indiana at home. And all of a sudden, I'm saying, hey, Big Ten title this, Big Ten title that. I told you all, and I feel like I'm reneging on it, that I would not talk Big Ten title until after this eight-game stretch. Whoops. Such is life as fanboy carp. It is hard not to get wrapped up in it and get excited about it. Last thought today before we end, and I, I hope my voice is okay. It's probably a little bit hoarse right now. But one last thought. Indiana basketball. You know, I remember distinctly the Bob Knight, Lou Henson games. And these were some of my earliest memories of the assembly hall being really loud and really intense. And you know, what's funny is I think Lou Henson overall had a pretty good record against Bob Knight. And even in the nineties, there was the Calvert Chaney team. I don't think Illinois beat that Calvert Chaney team, but, or, or when Calvert Chaney was a senior and I think won the scoring title and all that. But other than that, Lou Henson and then especially Lon Kruger, they beat Indiana. They beat Bob Knight. It wasn't usually that big of an issue. 
Bill Self comes in. I don't know if Bill Self ever coached against Bob Knight. I don't know if that was the Mike Davis thing or not. But, you know, you look at a program that should be kind of like Michigan in football, right? Historically, they're great. They got the national titles. They got the all-time coach in Bobby Knight. But look at the last 20 years. And it's not good that Mike Davis was probably the best coach they had in terms of what he accomplished, right? He made a national title game, right? Or a final four. They lost to Maryland. That has been their best coach in terms of on-court success. And what followed that would have been what? Kelvin Sampson and then Crean and now Archie Miller. It's just weird to see a program that, you know, you know it once had this sort of veneer of invincibility. Michigan football had that for a while. It's not there anymore. Indiana, they had it for a while. It's not there anymore. And to feel like they may not get that back. Archie Miller is not the guy. He's not the guy at least to get them back to that level. I think we can say that with some certainty right now. It's kind of a weird fit when you get to know Archie Miller and all the histrionics that he has on the sideline. You know, Bob Knight did a lot of those same things where he was very animated, but, you know, Bob Knight had this sort of gruff and tough exterior, and Archie Miller just looks like a little fresh face, you know, extra from Leave it to Beaver. He's just this kind of, you know, milk toast dude otherwise. And he's not able to turn Indiana into what Sean Miller has been able to turn Arizona into. Where Sean Miller kept that thing rolling out there, despite all the -the off-the-court issues, and we'll see if that really hurts them or not. But Archie Miller is someone that I felt very strongly about when we were making our coaching decision back in 2017. And he, I think, was also in Indy that weekend that Underwood was there and thinking, okay, man... Archie Miller, to me, seems like the safe pick. And remember some people talking about, well, Archie Miller, he wouldn't leave Dayton for Illinois. And I'm like, kiss my ass. If someone wouldn't leave Dayton for Illinois, despite the fact that our last decade hadn't been all that great, they're nuts. And we're finding out that Archie maybe just isn't made for this level. You know Indiana fans aren't happy with it, but then you got to ask him, okay, well, who would you get? And it is, I don't want to, what is it, count my chickens before they roost? Is that the old term? I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse, whatever cliche you want to use. But it appears to me like Indiana basketball is old news. And that's probably been the case for a while. Crane had the one seed, the Big Ten title winner, but they lost in the Sweet 16, I think, to Syracuse, the Zeller Oladipo team. Mike Davis made a national title appearance. Kelvin Sampson burnt that thing to the ground, excuse me, and Crane had to kind of rebuild it from scratching. To his credit, he got them back to respectability. But they seem to think they're better than they are. Nebraska football might be another good comp. This team that had an amazing history, but really over the last 20 years, they haven't been all that spectacular. And they are not a threat for Big Ten titles. And they are not a team that I ever fear playing. Not that I ever did growing up, and that's the thing about Indiana. I think I just missed that the era where Indiana felt like this sort of invincible Big Ten dominating force. And I don't know how they get back to that. In a state where Purdue is just kind of rolling along and doing their thing with Painter, I know that they have some unspectacular seasons. This year looks to be one of them. But he's got his thing going. Butler has their niche. And even a Notre Dame is better than they were back during the Bob Knight or Mike Davis era. So it seems like even within that state, Indiana basketball doesn't have the cachet that it used to. And it'll be interesting to see if they can ever conjure that momentum back up. Because 
It's not as if Archie Miller doesn't have talent on that team. He does. But something is amiss, right? And, and they should be better than they are, but they just aren't. And it makes you wonder, the longer that goes on, the further they get away from that success, kind of like Whitman said during Brad Underwood's press conference. 10 years, 15 years, pretty soon it's 20, 25, and the further you are away from that success, the harder it is to get back to it. Now, I would be happy if Indiana just stays right where they are. Middle of the pack in the Big Ten. Not a threat to win conference titles. They're a tough team to play, but not one that you ever fear. I'm happy for that to be the reality for the rest of my life. And I just hope that Wisconsin joins them because that's the other team that I'm getting sick of. Um, (laughs) Iowa, I don't mind Iowa being good because I hate them viscerally, right? We hate Iowa and it makes the rivalry fun, even though they will take a major step back next year. Okay. So you can take solace in that, but I don't mind Iowa being good. I find that fun when Iowa is really good and we're really good. And okay, we can jockey back and forth like they did kind of in the late eighties. And then I guess to an extent, um, the 93-94 season when Illinois was pretty good in the Big Ten, Iowa had A.C. Earl. Those are fun. Wisconsin, I don't find fun. I never enjoy playing them. I don't hate them as viscerally as I do Iowa. I'm just annoyed with them. I'm exasperated with Wisconsin. Indiana, on the other hand, they're just kind of there. And that is a weird balance of power in the Big Ten, a weird shift that someone who is, like my dad, for example, that would have grown up in Indiana was Indiana, And throughout the 80s, they were a powerhouse, a blue blood. They are not a blue blood anymore. Almost to the same way that you you look at UCLA, and they had John Wooden, Indiana had Bobby Knight, and they live in the shadows of those guys, and they've yet to really find their own identity past that. So blue bloods are the programs like a Kentucky that can just go from coach to coach. No problem. Kansas, that's a blue blood. North Carolina, that's a blue blood. Duke is going to be interesting when Coach K leaves. Do they go the way of an Indiana or a UCLA where that singular coach, that iconic guy, once he's gone, they can't live up to it? Are you going to put Jeff Capel in there? Come on. They can probably go out and get any coach they wanted to. They just don't have that coach in waiting to carry on the torch or whatever you'd want to say when Coach K leaves. That'll be interesting. Just an aside, it was a random thought I had watching that game yesterday where I'm watching Indiana, and they're decent, you know? They'll win some games in the Big Ten this year, and maybe they'll be a tournament team, maybe they won't be, but they are essentially kind of like the end of the Bruce Weber era, where you know they're fine, but you're like, God, what happened to those guys? Just like people were probably saying about Illinois in 2010. What happened to Illinois? Remember five years ago? Remember 10 years ago when they were winning Big Ten titles? That's Indiana now. May it stay that way. And Wisconsin, may you join them sooner rather than later. All right, everybody. That's it for this morning's podcast. Decided to do a solo pod. Uh, sorry, sorry for not getting a live pod out yesterday. I texted Isaac and Andrew, and again, just kind of under the weather and said, Ugh, you know, sorry. Not really feeling it because I, I would have been distracted about not feeling 100%. I'm fine now. Just a little kind of bug thing that came, came and went. Uh, but enjoy doing these solo pods. Of course, enjoy doing it with those guys too. And we'll get back to it on... This Saturday against Purdue, that game's at 5 o'clock. But no games this week. So what we're going to do here on the 200 level, Sean Harrington, going to talk with him tomorrow, I believe, and either post that Monday evening or Tuesday morning. We'll do an end-of-the-year wrap-up pod. Um, But I am very, very grateful for all the support that we've gotten this year. And the last two months have been off the charts. And we have more than doubled our audience, which already had a really strong foundation. But 
hey, a coaching hire and a really good Illinois basketball team, that tends to get a lot of people's interest. I just hope that you're enjoying it enough to stay with us throughout the rest of this basketball season and beyond. And we're having fun doing this. Appreciate you making the 200-level part of your Illini sports rotation. And appreciate Isaac and Trevor and Harry, my buddy Andrew, for all being part of this as we chronicle this Illinois basketball season that I hope, hope beyond hope, is one to remember. They're capable of it. We know that. I just hope at the end of this, when all is said and done, I know that the next time I go to State Farm Center, some kind of banner will be raised. And you know what? They don't even need to wait for the IO jersey. Put it up there. We don't need the benefit of time to contextualize his legacy. He is doing remarkable things. And I I think the last thing I would say in this podcast, and I'll probably repeat it quite a bit, enjoy this. This is rare. We've had great players come and go in this program, but the kind of season and domination that he's having right now, I've never seen that from any individual Illini player. Brian Cook's senior year was spectacular. We kind of forget about it sometimes, but even that was not to the level of what we're seeing with Io. So enjoy it. I am, he's a spectacular player and a rare personality that when we look back on it, that is the Pied Piper. And I hope that Brad Underwood can capitalize on what Io has done for this program, continue to bring in studs. I think a guy like Curbelo is kind of the, the, the torch carrier, if you will, for what this program is going to be when Io leaves. But what a remarkable season, what a remarkable career, and one of the easiest guys to root for. One of the easiest. And there's been so many dudes that in my history of, as an Illini basketball fan that, I mean, Corey Bradford, right? One of my favorites. Corey's on my Mount Rushmore, too, just for being one of my personal favorites. And he just, he kind of exemplified this toughness that that era of Illinois basketball had with him, winning two Big Ten titles and, and really turning this from a top 20 program into a top 10 program. He was so instrumental in that. You're looking at Io turning this thing from totally irrelevant into a top 10 program again. That's the power that he's having right now. So enjoy it. I am. I know you guys are too, but I'm, I'm probably going to repeat that a few times throughout this season. Uh, just real quick before we go, 200 level brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. Delivery anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So if you're staying home like I am this week, Winter break for you and the kiddos. Hey, that's a cheap lunch, delicious lunch. $5 calzones with coupon code Mike, $6 premium construction zones, and you can stay home, stay out of the cold. They'll bring you a popping hot calzone to your doorstep at dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Use coupon code, wait, there is no coupon code. It's State Farm. You got great prices and personalized service from Brian and his staff at brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer, the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners of the 200 level. Have a good rest of your Sunday. I guess go Bears. I don't even know anymore. And we will see you, if not tomorrow evening, Monday evening, we'll see you Tuesday morning, conversation with Sean Harrington. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll see you soon. It is the 200 level.